Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy July 8th, everyone, and welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Nice to see you today. Nice to hear from you. Um, it's uh, it's uh, a strange time out there in the world of college athletics with name, image, and likeness. Going to talk a little bit about that today, get more in-depth with it. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh this thing's going to get political, so I even hate to quote him, but he did say he opposes paying college athletes. If they're really good, they get rich. If they're not really good, they get a free education. So I'm having a hard time grasping what's wrong with the current system. Well, Mitch, you know, name, image, likeness is a different deal than paying players. Um, on the other side of the aisle, the, the dude from Connecticut, Blumenthal, I think in Murphy too, <laughs> two people from Connecticut, you know, Um you know, they want unions and uh, employee status and all this other stuff. So we're going to get into that uh, along with some other Gamecock-related information and news. Things have kind of slowed down uh, in terms of recruiting and things like that. But first, wanted to say that this segment of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Hmm. Are you paying them good money to keep things working, but are still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? I'll tell you this. When we were an ESPN affiliate, ESPN did not handle our tech for the big spur. We had to pay for that ourselves. When Marcus Lattimore committed, the site crashed. Uh, You want to talk about me turning red and my blood boiling over? That's what happened then. Uh, And I was paying people good money to keep it up and running. Uh, And then they told me to call the server people. And I'm like, well, come on. Are you worried this guy's not backing up or securing your network? And does your head hurt from having to deal with hassles? All right, avoid the Marcus Lattimore situation and call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. They're an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage Digital will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. That's the bottom line, man. Yeah, how are you supposed to make any money if your computer system's constantly crashing? You can't. It's impossible these days. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure you know that your IT network will work correctly all the time. And it's just one low monthly fee. It's a turnkey solution, what they call it. They have clients from South Carolina to Georgia to California, everywhere in between. They have you covered. Again, if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues and you're not really getting a lot from the current people you're using. Call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989. Get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. Uh, free estimate, all that good stuff. Uh, he can ask you the questions and get you all set up. Matt is a huge Gamecock fan. I've known him since we started the Big Spur back in 2007. Uh, I think he's one of our first members. Uh, so a great guy and a great Gamecock. And I know you a lot. there's a lot of business owners out there in our audience. So be sure to check that out. Um, and that comes at the beginning of the show because 
They sponsor the starting segment. I haven't come up with a name for it yet, the news and notes segment or whatever. We have iHelp Consulting for the mailbag. So that's why I usually read that right off the top and all that good stuff. But you guys, please, 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 if you enjoy the podcast, uh, give our sponsors a call, see if they can help you. If not, that's fine too, because free estimates. Uh, All right, back to this NIL thing. Okay, and uh, I mentioned... You're probably like, good Lord, JC, you started off this podcast with a Mitch McConnell reference and then an ad. Uh, so I kind of feel like I'm I'm failing you right now a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, I, I just uh, – this thing, it's unfortunate because there's going to have to be some federal laws passed, okay? Um, the NCAA has proven that they are not capable of governing it. Now – you have different sides of the aisle that have different philosophies on things like work and you, I mean, heck our country state by state, we're the United States of America. We're, you know, 50 States uh, that form one, uh, a more perfect union, I guess is what they call it. Uh, and state law is still important in our country, no matter what people want to say. And, you know, all that good stuff. I'm not going to get into the electoral college and all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, when people ask me about that, I say, well, you know, because it's the United States and our system's not set up to just be a general democracy where, you know, it's kind of set up to where New York City doesn't tell uh, Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City's a big city. Let me let me rephrase that. Like uh, Dodge City, Kansas, what to do. You know, you kind of have to take care of everybody in a country our size. But the problem is, is you have a big divide. We all know that. And I'm not going to get into that. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You know, college sports uh, need to be governed in a way that makes sense uh, to where you take care of the players and you also take care of college sports. And, you know, my point about all this is the name image likeness thing, I, I think, is great, I think, as long as it's market value. And, and I, I, I gripe about this all the time with people overvaluing recruiting rankings and things like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't value them. Believe me, no. I mean, I've made a living doing it. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying that in the sport of football, uh, look at the numbers. I mean, there was a, a situation where Alabama, 47% of their five stars got drafted and the number for everybody else is um, 20%. So, y- you know, that those numbers aren't, you know, you're not locked in football, even if you are a five-star. You're not even locked to play pro football. And because it's a, a sport you have to play to get better, very few people can go. I mean, you know, and, and, and I don't even think the national media has an argument here because for every Trevor Lawrence or Jadevi and Clowney that they gripe and moan about, Oh, they could go ahead and go and play pro football. What if they get hurt? You know, there's a hundred other kids on a roster that need to be playing college football for whatever reason, you know, get better at the sport, um, take advantage of the educational opportunities. Nobody talks about the 98% of the guys that, you know, use college football to get an education and then open doors for them in the business world or the coaching world or wherever. I mean, coaching, College coaching is very lucrative, and if you notice around the country, there are more and more opportunities not only for former players but for former minority players, which I think is important, 
Uh, and those coaching jobs paid assistant coaches on the power five level make 300, 400, 500 a year. Now they're not head coach rich, you know, but, uh, assistant coaches make a good living. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find that kind of job just working in a normal old job unless you're like on wall street or something like that. So, so I think college football creates a lot of opportunity for people that goes unnoticed. Um, and that's because the national media has kind of got an agenda and they're kind of focused on the guys that, uh, you know, could go, could go make it, um, and, and the rules and all that. So, 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 so there's the issue there. I mean, you know, I, I, when I look at it, I look for what's good for the sport for everybody involved. All right. So, so number one, the brand in college sports, there are great players. We all love to watch great players. But everybody says, you know, these guys are generating these billions of dollars worth of value for their football programs, as if the players are doing it alone. That's not true. There is a brand value in place for college football that's been in place for 120 years in most places. Okay. College football is college football because fans are passionate about their school or the school in their state um, or whatever. And I'm not saying, and I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't some people out there that, that watched Marcus Lattimore run the football or watch George Rogers run the football. And that's how they became Gamecock fans. That happens. And there's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt that great players do bring a lot of value to your program because great players usually mean that you win, but let's not put the cart before the horse. So with name image likeness, I have no problem, none with a great college football player going out and making as much money through endorsements as he possibly can. Uh, I think that, you know, this is America. Uh, It's about capitalism. I think Mitch McConnell, if he's talking about NIL, he's wrong. Um, You know, in terms of the, the current system, well, the current system's now got NIL included. And and see, that's the problem is that on that side of the aisle, you're going to have people that just want to shoot the whole thing down and preserve the system or whatever. And that, that's not the, – the cat's out of the bag. You're not going to do that. The time to have done that was five years ago, NCAA. Uh, you know, what they're going to have to do is regulate it to where it's fair and it stays out of the hands of uh, recruiting. Uh, and when I say the hands of recruiting, I mean the situation like at Miami. And, Tom, I know this was a mailbag question, but – he did say this. He said, enjoyed the podcast yesterday. If you think that more programs are going to do what Miami is doing, I think you're naive. Need businesses to do the same for the Gamecocks. Huge recruiting advantage. Be proactive. Um, I hope more. I hope there's not more stuff like Miami because that's just blatant recruiting. Um, again, this is about individual market value, Tom. And with individual, if it's if it is truly about that, truly about that then there's no way the third-string kicker should get as much as the starting quarterback as far as an endorsement deal. You know, that's not what this, that's not capitalism. That's not what everybody's talking about. You know, that's not getting your worth. That's a blatant recruiting deal. And you're not supposed to use it for recruiting. That's what the guidelines say. Um, so, so I think that stuff's probably going to be going the way of the dodo bird. Um, as far as Carolina goes – uh, here's something that I wanted to mention, and I mentioned on the site today, and I'm right about this. A lot of people are sitting there, and, and look, I know that there's the Ray Tanner, I hate Ray Tanner club. 
And I know that a lot of that's because Clemson's good in football and Carolina hasn't been and other sports have been sort of lackluster. And, and you know, during his tenure as AD, it, it, it hasn't always been good. And it's gotten – it's bottomed out a couple of times in some major sports. And I get that. He's And as a former coach, I think more so than like an Eric Hyman, he gets blamed when like game by game because he was the coach once. You used to follow – you know, you used to blame Ray when you lost baseball games and praised him when you won. So it's, I think he has a very feast or uh, black or white, black and white relationship with South Carolina fans just because he was a coach. And I don't think a lot of people really still to this day understand what an AD does exactly. Um, but then you see a lot of people saying, um, you know, Ray Tanner better get out in front of this and, and the school and the university better get out in front of this and, Shane Beamer can use this as a recruiting tool. And, and that's not – they can't. They can't. Um, that's not – that's against the rules. You know, uh, Manny Diaz didn't set this up for Miami. Uh, Miami fans did. <laughs> um, and, and so my thing about this is, and what I would say to Gamecock fans, and, and I, I ask – I talked about the business owners here because I've got two advertisers that I'd love for you guys to do business with. It's going to be up to the gain cognition to make this thing work to the people that have the means to go out and, 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 and support the school through using these guys as endorsement deals. Um, you're not going, I mean, Ray Tanner and Shane Beamer can't do anything. Ray Tanner's already done what he can do by setting up guidelines and, and, and partnering with, uh, the Altius company to kind of facilitate all of it because um, the school, I, and I talked to somebody inside the athletic department uh, a few days back about it. The school can't even like set it up for you. You have to go through like quote unquote, their agent, which would be the Altius marketing people. And, and so the schools really in and of themselves can't, can't do anything. You know what I'm saying? Uh you know, it, it's up. If, if you love the Gamecocks and you want South Carolina, you know, to have a great NIL situation, then, um, you know, step up. <laughs> and I think that's a problem around here at South Carolina too far. We, You know, it always seems like people are looking at uh, – you know, they're looking towards the university, the powers that be at the university to solve all the problems. When in reality, you know, a lot of programs in athletics that have been more successful, you know, they have people around their programs that do what it takes to make it happen. And I'm not talking about cheating necessarily. I'm talking about giving facilities, you know, Hey, Auburn built a new basketball arena a couple of years ago, hired Bruce Pearl, they're movers and shakers. And that's a sport that was, you know, dead on campus. Okay. Uh, I particularly think this thing could help Frank Martin and the Carolina basketball team, because, you know, where are most of the top talented players in the state and basketball um, percentage wise, every cycle, there's, there's a handful in Charleston and the upstate sometimes down at the beach, but Columbia is a basketball recruiting hotbed in a lot of ways. Well, those players are there. You know, those businesses are there. The opportunities there at home uh, to make money, that could be a big selling point. Now, we can get into Frank Martin and his recruiting and all that lately. I'm talking hypothetical, though. Um, so, so, so this is not something that 
Ray Tanner or Harris Pestides or Shane Beamer or Frank Martin or Don Staley or uh, Mark Kingston or anybody can take the bull by the horns with and make it happen. This is something for a change you can't blame coaches and administrators for if it doesn't work out. Uh, This is up to, you know, the folks in the community. And um, I just wanted to make that clear because that's, uh, you know, that's something that I think gets misunderstood. I see a lot of that. Well, Tanner needs to get out in front of it. Tanner can't do it. You know, it's got to be, you know, there's got to be some other, you know, people that kind of take ownership of it, so to speak. Uh, And so that's the deal there. But um, yeah, I mean, look, if the Miami thing is approved and they say they can do it and I could see more schools do it, I think it's ridiculous to sign a endorsement deal with an entire team of 90 guys. Uh, Cause again, I think that violates the spirit of the rule, but you know, what's good for one school is good for another. Um, and uh, if they can, I mean, I, I think, I think the NCA eventually or the feds or whoever. And again, there's two sides of the aisle because the, the Democrats want to fix the whole thing and say, these guys are employees. You know, it's all about the, the exploit exploitation or whatever. Um, you know, never mind the fact that it's not really college football that's exploiting guys. It's the NFL because they're too cheap and lazy to start a minor league. If you want to get right down to it or developmental league, if you want to get right down to it, you know, the NFL has a lot to do with all this because there's really one way to get to the NFL is to play college football. You know, and they've, you know, they've always kind of leaned on the colleges, hint, hint, wink, wink to do it, you know, so that, so there's somebody that should be responsible for it uh, rather than, you know, turning everybody into W2 employees and paying them a salary. And and, and then they're talked about unionization and all that. Now there are some things on the left side of the aisle that have been floated out there that I like, for example, health insurance. Um, I'm not a CTE alarmist. Okay, but there is science out there that shows that certain guys do have that. Um, I think the least you can do, and I don't think it would be ridiculously expensive compared to the revenue you get, is put these guys on health insurance for five or ten years after they play, including mental health. Because there's some guys that, you know, need it. Uh, that play college football, and, you know, they – they do put their bodies on the line, you know, no matter, no matter if you create a minor league and and the top thousand players or whatever, go to the minor league for the NFL, you're still going to have a lot of college football and 90 players on the team. You're still going to be making this money. You know, so I think that's a step they could take. Uh, I also think, you know, that if you want to set them up with something like teaching assistants get for graduate school, that's not a whole lot of money. Uh, to pay them some sort of salary because teaching assistants do the same thing. They provide a service for the university that's above and beyond education uh, by teaching uh, when they're in grad school. And and so I think that's fair, you know, because football is a service to the university. Um, I don't think it's an employee kind of thing because it's still voluntary. And honestly, if again, the top thousand guys don't want to play, there's a thousand more that would love to play. And the crowds are going to be just as big and the TV deal is just as great. You know, coaches' salaries are kind of crazy right now. Um, it's made me stop caring when guys that are head coaches get fired. I feel bad for assistants, especially, 
you know, a lot of those guys are on one-year deals, have to move their family six times in seven years, that kind of thing. But head coaches get fired. Pfft, shoot, they're set. Most of them are set for life. South Carolina just uh, handed over twelve point nine million to Will Muschamp. He's set for life. You know, he and his family both. It's generational wealth. But um, so, so, so that's the, that's the thing. You know, on the left, you, know, you got guys like Blumenthal and Murphy, the guys from Connecticut, Corey Booker from New Jersey, that just, you know, they want to just tear the whole thing up, turn it into you know, professional sports, and it's still not. I don't care what you say, it's not professional sports. It's not. It's still college sports. And, again, if you want to get down to it and say, you know, you want to talk about exploitation, it's the NFL. Because how do they get players for their multi-billion dollar? I mean, look, as much money as college football makes, the NFL makes a lot more. How do they get players? College. They don't invest in a farm system. They don't invest in minor leagues. They don't invest in development. It's up to the colleges. Um, and even with the NFL, you're, you're talking about not, you know, 2% of the guys. Uh, and, and so I think where, where everything gets lost on that end of the spectrum, the people that want to unionize and all that, is that, look, this does not apply to most of the players on a roster, football or basketball. Now, basketball, I'm talking primarily about football. Basketball, we'll get into it at, at some other point specifically because I, I think the value per player in basketball is higher because it's it's more of a, um, you know, more of a, I don't know, more of a different type of deal. You know, I, I think in basketball, we know who the great players are and who are going to be the high draft picks in the NBA before they ever go to college. I mean, they're 12 to 18 months out. So, you know, from being multimillionaires. But basketball, we can talk about that here in a second. So, you know, for football, I, I think that, you know, when you, when you kind of just look at the reality of recruiting, the highly recruited guys, uh, you look at the reality of how these guys' values change as you move forward. Uh, and all that, I, I think there needs to be something in place to where it's like, okay, number one, you can't give everybody on the team the same amount because that's not market value. That's saying you're going to be a Miami football player. That makes your value this, and everybody gets the same one. That's just not true. You know, number two, now, now look, from a team perspective and a coaching perspective, would it be better? Would it be better if uh, everybody got the same? Absolutely. Absolutely. And coaches are going to have a hard time with this, but that's not the spirit of the rule. That's recruiting. That's, that's giving your school a recruiting advantage. Remember I said the school kind of has more power than the individual when it comes to college sports. That's true. That's why those guys in Miami are doing that. I don't think that's right. Cause I don't think that's what this is meant to do. So I, I, I would hope that uh, they make some rule where you don't get an endorsement deal till you come to college and you stay in school for whatever. You know, we're just not going to do that. Now, you know, again, you're restricting the free market in a way, but you're also not because, you know, they're, 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 I think what you're doing is ensuring market value because you, you, you're basing it on performance. You know, you're basing it on, something other than an R, you know, a star rating out of high school, you know, cause you're basically what you're doing when guys come in 
and you get a big five-star quarterback or five-star D lineman and he gets a hundred thousand a year, first year and hadn't done anything. You know, that guy, most of the time, no matter how good he is, is going to have to work. I mean, Jadevian Clowney, Marcus Lattimore, Trevor Lawrence, everybody had to work. Everybody worked. You know, there, there's nobody out there that's just floated through that's any good in football. Okay. So, so I think you give them a chance to go work and then you say, all right, after your first year, boom, go do what you do and get what you're worth. And then you just got to make sure, hey, you know, I think a third-party arbiter that determines market value for guys would be great. And I would hope that this person or group of people or whatever would also factor in the, the brand strength of the school. Because if you didn't play for the school, you, know, if you probably wouldn't have that brand power. So that's my thing about that. Uh, you know, I, I I hope that this doesn't turn into a, you know, a situation where whoever's got the the most business connections and can guarantee the most per player uh, is getting most of the recruits. And, you know, then you go in there, you know, and everybody's kind of making money already. So who cares? And, and I mean, I, I don't, Miami's not going to start winning because of that. They may have better talent on paper coming in. They're not going to start winning football games because of that. In fact, it's going to be harder to win football games. And what's going to be even harder is, when you have a five-star player that comes in and you want to give him a, you know, quarter of a million dollar endorsement deal and you're, you know, three-year starter and captain at center or offensive guard or wherever, you know, he's trying to monetize his YouTube page for, you know, a couple of grand a month or whatever, you know, that's going to be a problem in the locker room, you know, so I am all for getting people getting what they, they, they earn and what they're worth but I do believe in our society that you really have to look at what does that entail? How do you get what you're worth? Well, you work hard and you become a great player. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, playing high school football at a high level, in me, in my opinion, does not entitle you to a great endorsement deal. I don't care who you are. You know, like basketball, like I said, is different because basketball used to not have the one and done Basketball used to be able to go straight to the pros. Guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, straight to the pros. You know, uh, who else went straight to the pros? Jermaine O'Neal from South Carolina went straight to Kevin Garnett. Ray, uh, Ray Allen actually went to UConn. I always mention Garnett and Allen in the same breath because they were in the same class. Uh, when I was in school, high school in South Carolina, and our team actually played against both of them that year. Um Allen was a senior and Garnett was a sophomore. And then they were together on the Celtics. But uh, anyway, I digress. You know, basketball may be a different story because I think you can determine market value in that sport closer to being accurate than you can in the sport of football. And, and, and all you got to do is look at the draft numbers, you know, uh, in terms of how many five stars get drafted in the first round, three stars, whatever. Higher percentage of five stars, you know, statistically it works out. But numbers-wise, they're, you know, 17 guys that are four and five stars and 15 that are threes and twos. So how do you determine it for football? Um, even in basketball, if you said, hey, wait, I'm fine with that. But I, I, think the, I think those sports from a earnings potential standpoint are so different. Just because, all right, in basketball, too, you don't have as many jobs. You don't have as many players. Um, and you can actually make a lucrative living playing basketball, not only in the United States of America, 
but overseas uh, and, and things like that. You know, you can't go overseas and play football, you know, and there's more players and all that. So I don't know. That, that's just kind of my take on it. I, I didn't mean to get political here or anything. Cause you know, on the other side of the aisle, like I mentioned McConnell earlier, just to be fair here, I mean, they don't want to change anything. And, and, you know, obviously that's a very naive uh, and short-sighted opinion, um, you know, about it because you know, things have already changed. Uh, and, you know, those, those folks are allegedly the capitalists when you get down to political debate. So, so I'm kind of pissed off of both. I mean, I, I think this is ridiculous. All this grandstanding does on both sides uh, is prevent the federal government from regulating this uh, as best they can and keeping it from getting out of control where you have a situation like the Miami situation or wherever, where it is just recruiting. And that's not what it's supposed to be. That's not, that's not what it's supposed to be. So I, I do hope that the leadership in our country on both sides of the aisle, because again, Biden, Trump, Obama, Bush, they couldn't do anything about this. You can't, you can't legislate college athletics by executive order. The Congress make, believe it or not, folks, Congress makes the laws in our country. I know they don't always do a great job of it, um, but they need to, to get their head out of their butts and and come up with something that everybody can agree on that's common sense. Hey, if you want to unionize college athletics and, and, and all that crap, you know, and, and push that agenda, that's for another time because NIL isn't about paying college players a salary. Now, there's some people out there that think, though, that, we, that, that you know, like – and when you get into unionization and stuff, you have these other people that are involved, like the players' union with the Pac-12 during COVID, that wanted fifty percent of the revenue. <sighs> Come on, man! You want fifty percent of the revenue? Fine, you don't play. Like I said, there's a thousand more football players that would gladly come play college football. The crowd's still going to show up. Whatever, you guys go form a minor league and see how much money you can make. Okay, that, that gets a little bit ridiculous because that completely discounts the branding of the individual colleges and teams, which has been in existence for 125 years in most places. You know, that's college sports is popular because of that. You know, players are great. We love players. But, you know, this isn't like the NBA. You know, like there's no super teams. Maybe Alabama could be considered one because they've been so good for so long, but there's no super teams in college football. You know, people that think that just because of star ratings or whatever are, I think are part of the problem and don't get it, you know, um, I, cause it's, it, it's a different sport. It's a different deal. Basketball again, maybe you make some more exceptions just because of the value that each individual player can justifiably have right away. So that's my deal with NIL. I hope I, you know, I, like I said, I was on both sides of the aisle here <laughs> politically. I don't want to get into a political standoff, but I'm telling you, it's disappointing when you look and you say Congress should act on this uh, and they don't, you know, another point I'd like to make is when you talk about name image likeness and, you know, the state of Georgia, their law, according to an article I read today, hopefully they interpreted the law correctly, 
75% of the NIL revenue goes back to the school and gets distributed. Um, if I'm Kirby Smart or Jeff Collins, I'm a little bit pissed off because you know what? The South Carolina law doesn't have that clause in it. It's kind of like you eat what you kill, South Carolina. It's your money, individual. Um, and so you have things like that that could that could honestly, you know, turn into a big advantage for certain states over others. And, you know, that's just not good for the game. And, and I think what some of these folks need to realize, too, is, uh, and this goes for Mitch and Blumenthal and all these guys, is college football is very important all around this country. College football happens and is magical everywhere from Los Angeles, California, to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to Coral Gables, Florida, actually Fort Lauderdale is where they play, uh, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Austin, Texas, Lincoln, Nebraska, big cities, little towns. I mean, when you have a sport that's massively appealing in Los Angeles, just as much as it's massively appealing in Starkville and Oxford, Mississippi, that, that, that touches all of America, whether you're red, blue, whatever. It's an important sport, and it has been for years. And it helps – And I think it – you know, people can gripe and complain all they want. I think it's an overwhelmingly positive experience for the vast majority of people that play the sport. I mean, and and I, I know there's some hard luck stories out there, and I know there's some guys that, quite frankly, I wish they could have cashed a check for $2 million before they went to college and got hurt, you know? And, and there are, you know, there are situations like that, and it's unfortunate. But I think for the vast majority of people that go play college football, it's opened up a lot of doors and given them opportunities. Maybe in some cases they wouldn't have had, in some cases they would, you know. But but I think from the players' perspective, that's why it's important. I think from fans, boosters, alums, uh, it's it's very important as well. And I, I'll tell you another thing. I you know I. Uh, if you're a fan and you're out there saying this is going to ruin the game and you don't want to be proactive and, you know, I, I don't want to watch it anymore. These guys get a scholarship, you know, th- then that's, that's not really looking at it correctly either. Now, most of you that say that are, are more pointing towards the Miami situation and saying, ah, it's going to turn into a recruiting thing. And that's fine because I agree with you there, but you know, the, the whole shut up and play and take your scholarship and that's all you get. I don't know about that. You know, there's got there's folks on scholarship for other reasons besides football that can go out and do whatever they want. I mean, they can monetize their YouTube page. Uh, Colton Gothier playing guitar for gigs. He couldn't do that before. I mean, you know, you can tell a music student he can't go down to five points of the Vista and play his guitar for money. Come on, man. You know, that, and that's what I think this is all about. So, you know, a lot, lot of aspects of it, a lot of things. I think a lot of people, politicians especially, are piling into this thing when all th- all I think the sport really needs is guidance and regulation on NIL specifically. So it doesn't create an artificial, and I'm going to say this very clearly, an artificial competitive advantage. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, like the Miami thing, <laughs> that's an artificial competitive advantage. Cause like I said, most of those guys uh, on that roster have not earned the right to do NIL. 
you know, that's, that's saying, all right, well, here's the scholarships of Miami going to be worth a little more, you know, I don't think that's right. You know, and, and I think that's where you need guidance, you know, uh, is it going to be a recruiting advantage for some schools? Absolutely. You can't avoid that. You know, it's going to be a recruiting advantage. I don't know specifically as to who, probably one of the, you know, there are the schools that figure it out to do the best, but, you know, uh, I think I think it'll be something that will change enough over time to where, like, you know, you're not just going to have the same teams that are good at NIL. Nobody else is. And, and so they're going to be on top of college football, and that's all you can do because money's driving it. I mean, look, you guys remember about seven years ago when Clemson was really good at social media and South Carolina wasn't? You guys remember that? Well, what happened? Uh, any of you out there think Clemson's better on social media than the Gamecocks now? I don't think so. You know, I mean, I, you know, and it was night and day then, and now it's, you know, South Carolina came back, got it together, and figured it out. You know, so I think those things will change. I just don't think there should be an artificial competitive advantage. Uh, and that's going to be very, very – it's going to be very unfortunate the day I see schools line up top recruits, allegedly, and give them all these endorsement deals, and then half of them don't pan out. And there's that, So they make this money. Half of them don't pan out, and the school goes seven and five or five and seven. And that's probably not going to happen in Alabama. You know, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, they're not going to get in that kind of situation. Southern Cal, maybe. Heck, they've gone five and seven with five stars across the board recently. So that that's what I don't, you know, I, I, I just, I think that's the thing is, is that this thing needs to be grounded in, in cold, hard reality. Cold, hard reality. You get what you're worth individually. I don't think it's a team thing. Uh, and again, just from the Gamecocks perspective, uh, you know, if you're out there going, boy, Ray Tanner needs to get on this. They, uh, the university's done all I can do. Set up the guidance, talk to the independent uh, agency about it. And, and, and the guys are open for business, but it's not up to Ray Tanner to drum that up. He can't. That's against, that's one thing that's against the rules. So keep that in mind if you're out there, you know, there's other things to criticize Ray Tanner for, other things to criticize Shane Beamer, Frank Martin, Don Staley for. That's not one of them. They can't do it. They're not going to have a thing to do with this other than setting up processes for the student athletes to, you know, get what they're worth, which I think is fine. Again, you know, that's my little spiel on that. Hope you enjoyed the NIL talk today. Uh, gonna get right to the the mailbag because there's not much going on news wise, really not today. We have uh, oh Ramon Brown's announcing the four star running back. Um, I'll talk about this for a sec. I talked with a source today, so here we go. Have you heard this before, folks? Penn State's not taking him now. Penn State did get Nicholas Singleton at running back the other day. Uh, but uh, so, so, but now, I mean, Brown's been leaning to Virginia Tech for a while. I just flipped my crystal ball. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that's the third. Yeah, Penn State's not taking him. I don't know. 
<laughs> not taking him. So I, I think that's kind of funny. Um, so that's number one. Number two, Sumter defensive lineman DJ Jackson, a very sad story here, awful from the Gamecocks, NC State, and others. He tore his ACL. He's going to miss his senior year. So if you're the praying type, say a little prayer for our good friend DJ Jackson over at Sumter High School. Uh, that's sad because that guy's a warrior. Like as far as a high school player goes, he's a warrior. Um, very productive. Better, more productive than Justice Boom um, back in the day. Uh, so I wanted to mention that. The we won't delp hashtag that's been out there. Uh, you guys know that the Gamecocks kind of started that just in case you're out there tweeting with your Georgia friends or whatever, or talking to your Georgia friends. I uh, just wanted to make that clear. That's uh, that's paying off well. Uh, Hale McGranahan also put in a crystal ball uh, for or reemphasized his crystal ball for Demetrius Watson. He's now confidence level of eight. Uh, 6'3", 285 guy out of Fort Dorchester in North Charleston. I want to point this out. South Carolina didn't get anybody out of Fort Dorchester for a while. Losing Byron Maxwell to Clemson, Robert Quinn to North Carolina, Carlos Dunlap to Florida. You've heard it all. John Simpson to Clemson. Uh, but this will be three in a row if they get him. If you count uh, the walk-on Daryl Ware, who they like, who's probably going to play some snaps this year. Played a lot at the end of last year. Um, so there we go. Uh, that's good to kind of start that with, with Fort Dorchester because going all the way back to Darrell Berry, South Carolina just has not gotten players out of that school. And they usually have, you know, at least once every three cycles or so, Fort Dorchester will have a guy. So Fort D, Demetrius Watson, uh, 6'3, 285, ran 4'6'9 at camp, big athletic guy. Gonna probably have to redshirt and develop a little bit, but. D-line heaven, big athletic kid like that, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong at all. You know, so there's that there. Uh, some threads on the board about Shane Beamer being ranked the 14th coach in the SEC. Um, I get it. I They use the coordinator thing again. I'm not going to keep talking about that, but, you know, that's that's – I don't think that means anything. Uh, I do think it's hard to rank coaches. Uh, especially coaches that haven't coached. So if you're splitting hairs, maybe you go, okay, well, Clark Lee was a coordinator at Notre Dame. And yeah, okay, all right, whatever. So we'll see. We'll see what happens that that, that way. Well, I don't know that Shane's going to be the 14th ranked coach in the in the SEC moving forward. But um, you never know. It changes quickly. I saw the ACC rankings today, and Dino Babers was ranked 14th. I think Dino Babers was like fifth in the league after they they beat Clemson one year, and they seemed to play really well against Clemson. But um, I think they won ten games at, at Q's. He's fourteenth now. He's last. Dino Babers. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, like I said, I think it's hard to rank, but you know, there's that. All right, so it's time for the I Help Consulting mailbag. Two ways you can get in the mailbag: number one, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Number two. Email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, and it's brought to you by I Help Consulting. So, again, this is about your business here. You're always looking to save time and money. I Help Consulting can help you. It's a gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So, you got Heritage Digital for your digital, your system. 
Yet I help to just save money across the board, credit card processing, internet. That means like your internet service, like uh, with Verizon or whoever, or uh, Comcast. Uh, insurance, anything else. I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And also, if I help can't save your business any money at all, then you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my friend Daniel Owens at I help 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com for a free consultation. There's no financial commitment right off the bat. No financial commitment if he can't save you money. That number again is 843-372-5713. I help Consulting. How can I help you? So the I help Consulting mailbag. First of all, you can tweet at the Big Spur Pod. And we want you to follow that. And Tom's already tweeted at us. And so we got Tom's in there. Garnet over everybody tweeted and said, any info on the recruitment of Jackson from Sumter? And and, and I, I answered this question on the message board. And I think it was the same day and I got confused and thought I'd already answered it. So I apologize. Um, as far as Jackson goes, South Carolina offer was still is still committable, I think. Uh, the ACL, I don't know if maybe they'd bring him in later or what, if he wanted to come, uh, he was a guy I think they were going to wait forever on, you know, uh, and if they fill up on the D line, uh, but they do like him an awful lot, you know, I, and we'll see what happens with this ACL thing. That news sort of broke, you know, before I answered your question, I'm sorry, but before that happened, it was, you know, yes, they'll t- they're going to take him, but, you know, there's not an unlimited amount of window, you know, if he wanted to come, you know, that that's the kind of thing there. So I appreciate that. Appreciate Tom and his question. Then the second way to get in obviously is through the to to the, I help consulting inbox is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Hudson says, what's up, JC was on a family vacation a few weeks back and had a conversation about the upcoming season that brought up a pretty funny question. Wanted to see what your thoughts were. What is the worst moment you've been a part of as a Gamecock fan? I had a hard time deciding between the Papa John's Bowl, the 2013 Tennessee game, but I ended up deciding on the Tennessee game. Hope you get a laugh out of the question. Look forward to hearing more Gamecock scoop from you. Okay. Of those two, I was not at the Papa John's Bowl. I was actually working for ESPN.com at the time and in St. Petersburg, Florida, at the Under Armour All-American game. And the Under Armour game came on before the Papa John's Bowl. So I sat there and watched it in the press box with my good friend Jerry Hamilton. And we're sitting there working on our game stories and stuff, and I'm watching it and watching it and watching it. And you can ask Jerry, I was – a bit down in the dumps after that one on the drive back to Orlando where we were staying, uh, 20 to seven loss, uh, all that excitement after beating Clemson 34, 17 Clemson had won the ACC, uh, coastal or sorry, Atlantic division. CJ Spiller, James Davis were on that team, I think, or just CJ Spiller, uh, South Carolina, was about, I think, six and five coming into the game and had had some good moments and bad moments in 09. And then just, you know, really Eric Norwood had a good game. Gilmore, they put the Gilmore package in on offense. Uh, Spurrier and the offensive coaches had a great game plan. And Ellis had a really good defensive game plan, too. Clemson really, really didn't do a whole lot. 
with that explosive offense. Spiller actually returned the kickoff for a t- opening kickoff for a touchdown. <laughs> wow. And um, things just turned out for South Carolina that day. Uh, and then you got the Papa John's Bowl, and, and you know, you lose to UConn. And it was one of those things where that, that was a funny bowl selection because a lot of people were saying South Carolina was going to play Pitt. And Pitt and the Gamecocks played a bit home and home, 84, 85, I think. Uh, of course, they played in the 1980 Gator Bowl. That was one of the best Pitt teams of all time. Uh, so there's some history there with Pitt, and it's more of a name team. But then it was UConn. Pitt went somewhere else. And uh, Randy Etzel, back when his stock was on the rise, they they really took it to South Carolina. And, um, you know, that was kind of the, the height of UConn football because I think they went to the Fiesta Bowl somewhere around in that time period too. So, anyway, uh, that was a bad loss. Uh, everybody was cold. Uh, it was one of those times I felt bad about for Gamecock fans because, you know, usually when, when the Gamecocks beat Clemson and go to a bowl, the bowl is usually well attended. So there's probably 20,000 in Birmingham that day. And um, they just went, I'm disappointed, you know. Then the next year, Carolina won the SEC. So <laughs> better days were ahead, but that was a disappointing loss. But I wasn't there. I was at the 2013 Tennessee game. And that's what Hudson decided. Uh, dating a girl at the time, it was short-lived after this game. The game really didn't have much to do with it. But Tennessee grad, lucky to know football wasn't round. Golf clapped after the game. Uh, had no idea that Tennessee was going to win that one. Uh, you know, South Carolina, again, came in on a roll. They had beaten Arkansas 52-7 to in Fayetteville the week before. Uh, just a shocking loss. And at that point, I think, when you start thinking about the 2013 Tennessee game, 2019 Tennessee game, 2009 Tennessee game, 2007 Tennessee game, those losses up there, that that's when Neyland started becoming a house of horrors. Back when Peyton Manning and those guys were playing, you know, Tennessee's on a different level. So you, you go up to Knoxville, maybe you play them tough, that's good. But – those losses stung because, you know, on paper, if you kind of compared them, Tennessee wasn't that much better. wasn't better than South Carolina at all, especially in 2013. And then hindsight is always 2020. But if you win that game and the season plays out, you end up getting Auburn and Ellis Johnson's defense in the SEC championship game. Instead, Missouri went. Uh, and if you don't think Steve Spurrier could really dial them up, against Auburn, look no further than the 2014 game down there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Michigan State beat Ohio State. Urban Meyer cried and ate a pizza. And Auburn ended up going to the national championship game. South Carolina would have gone to the Rose Bowl uh, to play Florida State, Jameis Winston. And what a story that would have been. South Carolina, Steve Spurrier in the Rose Bowl for the national title against the hated, his hated nemesis, the Florida State Seminoles. Ah, what might have been. Uh, that game and the 84 Navy game were the two most costly losses, I think, in South Carolina history. Now, look, when they lost the Tennessee game that year, there's no way to tell, you know, that all that was going to work out, Right. You know, sometimes in college football, especially when in the BCS, things had to work out. 
you know, and, and there's no t- they may not have beaten Auburn and Nick Marshall and you know those guys, Miles Zahn's here. I mean, I don't, I don't know that the 2013 Gamecock defense was, you know, good enough to consistently stop them. That defense got a lot better as the season went on, but it had some holes. Um, I do think Carolina would have moved it up and down the field against that Auburn defense. Missouri scored 42. 59-42 was that SEC championship game. So, you know, I, if I had to decide, decide between the two, simply because I was at the Tennessee game, I would say that. Now, the worst moment, probably the 2003 Clemson-South Carolina game, and I'll, I'll tell you this, I was not there. That's between 97 and – shoot, 97 and – who? 97 and 2010, I missed one South Carolina Clemson game. I'd just go and watch uh, because I was in sports media. I didn't cheer, and I usually wore, like, blue or something, neutral colors. Uh, that's the one I didn't go to, and I'm sitting there with, with the ex-wife, and that's one night I wish I would have drank some beers, and I didn't. <laughs> Uh, we had gone to a movie, gone shopping, had a lovely day. It was a nighttime kickoff. Clemson was not that much better than South Carolina on paper heading into the game. I think Tigers may have been a three-and-a-half-point favorite, 63-17. to 17. You know, I think you can swallow the 56-7 to 7, uh, in, the, in the 2016 season or the, all the must-champ games you can kind of swallow because Clemson's at another level. That, that game – and really the 04 game, too, which I was at with the fight, those were, those were tough. Uh, those were tough. I was also at the 1989 – I was at the 1989 Clemson-South Carolina game. It was 45-0. That was my first Clemson-South Carolina game, so that was a low point, too. Um, but just the way that team with a bowl on the line just got waxed and it was happening and there was nothing – that team could do about it. I mean, it was 21 nothing, and then Carolina showed some signs of life, t- cut it 21-10. The next thing, it was 35-10. I mean, it, it was just – it was unbelievable. And and the if you look at the results from that season for both teams, Clemson was on a hot streak. They had upset Florida State. Tommy Bowden saves his job, all that. But those two teams were not 46 points apart when you talk about body of work. And that was kind of – the beginning of the end for Lou Holtz, um, and that ushered in the Steve Spurrier era. So that that was a tough one too. So you know, just thinking back on it, uh, I, I was visibly upset. Didn't cry or anything, but I, I was visibly upset and had to go take a walk after the 63-17 thing. But that's that's a good question, Hudson. I really appreciate it. Um, Isaiah says, JC, just wanted to get your thoughts on the helmet coach Beamer previewed. And should we expect to do throwback uniform this year? Um, the second part of that question, I think, I think, yes. Uh, the first part of that question, uh, Justin King tweeted a troll meme out. And, uh, I think he and Justin King were just having some fun with that helmet. Um, coach Beamer's talked a lot about Carolina fans and uniforms, and I think it's I think it's interesting. I mean, South Carolina fans, you know, South Carolina historically, because there's two primary colors. There's garnet and black, and then white. Um, 
and I know Clemson's got purple and orange and, you know, Georgia's got the silver britches and all that, but it'd be a lot of schools where their uniforms are more traditional. They have one sort of one primary color. Clemson will break out the purple every now and then, and that's fine. But, you know, South Carolina, you know, some people like the garnet, some people like the black, some people like the white, some people like the white helmets, the black helmets, whatever. Um, and then this helmet, for those of you that don't know, Coach Beamer was sitting there looking at it, and it's the 1969 helmet from the Paul Dietzel era with his, the Gamecock, no block C, and then a banner. I think it says academics or I don't know the exact wording. Um, I apologize. Some of you are yelling right now saying that you know it. Um, and my my assumption was, and, and I posted this, we wrote about it, and a lot of people were talking about it, was that was a topic starter. <laughs> and that, you probably shouldn't expect that. Um, do I expect a new throwback uniform this year? Yeah, I think they, uh, with the uniforms, you're, you're probably going to see a different approach with Beamer than Muschamp, and I'm happy about that. And I didn't, you know, look, this is one of one, you know, record this, folks. I was wrong because when Muschamp first started the whole, you know, let the players vote or the seniors vote and, you know, mix it up every week or whatever, and you, you start thinking about recruiting in Oregon and, you know, you're like, well, you don't have a traditional uniform anyway, so let's just mix it up. And if the kids like it, that's fine. But it, – <laughs> It was nothing like Oregon or even Maryland, which is an Under Armour school. It was just more like, well, sometimes we wear garnet and they don't ever get the garnet right. And then, you know, sometimes we wear black and sometimes we wear white and sometimes we wear this. And there, there was it, just like the that era, uh, what, the era of coaching was, you know, under, the uniforms were just inconsistent. And there were times where they were just, the kids would pick out just these ugly, like Texas Tech. You know, and so I'm for anything uniforms wise, just look like the Gamecocks. And, and I think a lot of times this fan base has trouble deciding exactly what that is because everybody has preferences. But I would expect it to go back to a more traditional look. I, I don't think the black helmets are going anywhere um, in terms of, you know, their use, because Beamer did say just about all the recruits love the black helmets. Um, I do think you're going to see a lot more stormtrooper look on the road, uh, a lot more times at home where they have, you know, garnet uniforms, white helmets, white pants. Uh, I kind of like the, the the garnet helmet and the black uniforms and the white pants, I think, you know, but I was, I came of age in the eighties and that was the Morrison era. It's also the Brad Scott era for those of you that just want to label it the Morrison uniforms, <laughs> but uh, you know, I thought that was a sharp uniform, but I, I do think you're not you're going to see more of a, a a consistent look with them, and I, I think and I think and, and look, I I'm basing this on the whispers behind the scenes. Who knows? He he may just say everybody decided like like Muschamp did. I haven't heard definitively, but I I think I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think that uh, there's going to be more intent there. In other words. Big game garnet, you know, that's going to be broken out for a big game. <laughs> you know, you're not just going to wear them, you know, for, for whatever. And, and there's going to like, there's going to be intent behind the uniforms they wear. And I think that works because I think, you know, oh, it's a big game. Let's, let's put on these uniforms or whatever. Even Spurrier, who was kind of a, a traditionalist with them, you know, he, he would say, all right, well, this, we're going to just wear the all garnet, you know, and that kind of thing. 
Uh, do I expect a new throwback? Yeah, I do. I think that'll happen. Um, again, whispers. I'm not reporting that as a hundred percent fact as I am just, that's just kind of my, my gut feel, you know, and, um, shoot with, with as much as people react to it, uh, it'd be great for my business if, if I were like the uniform scoop man, but unfortunately I'm not. So thank you for your question. Mitchell says, JC, with regards to, uh, all right. Our question is, sorry, I got a text and just had to look down at it. Regarding Carolina's opponents, Tennessee and Kentucky. In three years from now, do you think that both Josh Heupel and Mark Stoops will be at their respective schools? To be honest with you, I'll be shocked if they're still employed in three years. For Heupel, I was talking to this friend, and my theory is Tennessee hired them hired him to try to make their situation not look as bad as it is currently. And I honestly believe the Vols will be one and done with him as a result. I expect Hugh Freeze will come to Knoxville after this year. Uh, not to be harsh on the guy, but I thought it was the worst coaching hire in the offseason. Um, let, me, let, let, me, let me address this first. I – all right, so I was talking to a source today about Tennessee, and that they're going to – first and foremost, they're already paying some penalties for just the whiff of probation. If this isn't a deterrent for cheating or, or paying players or whatever, like in McDonald's bags or whatever they were doing, then I don't know what is. 39 players have left. That's a huge number. 39. Huge number. Huge. Um, and I read some stuff out there, people, you know, uh, on our message board, most of these people are like, you know, you're the 10 or so, I, I don't know. I'm not going to call them negative Nellies because I, I don't really believe in positive and negative posters. Cause I think some people just have an outlook and use the site to vent, but the, they're probably not negative people in life. They use the site to vent. And then some people that are positive all the time on the site are miserable in real life. I've met some of them. Um, so I don't want to say negative people. I'm saying the people that want to vent constantly and, you know, dis, uh, disavow everything that they even interpret as positive. So somebody like that decides they're they're going to go in there and, and talk about how great Tennessee had done in the transfer portal. Well, I, I looked at their transfer portal guys, and I mean, I you know, the word "great" was thrown around. I mean, like I, I you know, I, and I think what this person was getting at, and I have no idea if they were or not, was that you know these guys Tennessee got in the portal were higher ranked out of high school than South Carolina's guys. Uh, ergo and they got some from like 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 there they got their guys look okay so they got a kid from virginia tech they got two from southern cal they got one from michigan they got one from mississippi state they got one from kansas they got one from texas they got one from michigan they got one from alabama one from auburn none of these guys were playing okay you know brandon turnage is went from already has gone from bama to georgia and now he's going to tennessee you know, he, he wasn't playing. Out of all these guys, the kid from Kansas and and the uh, defensive lineman from Southern Cal probably are good. You know, Joe Milton coming out of high school, great quarterback. Uh, Hendon Hooker probably won't even start. I would start him if I were them. I like him. They got a kicker. 
You know, the kid from Texas wasn't playing. So I don't I don't know where people are getting this. I mean, you know, now look, top to bottom, Tennessee's 10 transfers going to be better than South Carolina's. We don't know that. Maybe. You know, South Carolina's got a lot of guys coming up from FCS and group of five. Now, you know, I, I and I think this is going to be one of those interesting things to look at. And a lot of these guys are going to have to play for Tennessee because they've lost so many players. It's one of those interesting things to look at, like, you know, okay, who was better? And, you know, what should the philosophy be? Is it better to get guys that have been on the Power 5 level that just weren't playing or whatever? And some are no-brainers. Like the kids that left Tennessee, those are no-brainers. Those were the best players they had. Um, Or, you know, this kid that, oh, he signed with Texas, so therefore he's better – at linebacker Jawan Mitchell than Debo Williams, who came from Delaware. I don't, I don't, I've seen Jawan Mitchell. I don't know that. Maybe, but it's not a given. You know, so I see people talk about this all the time, probably. They have serious, serious problems. Now they could start two and oh. Bowling Green, their opening opponent was awful last year. Pittsburgh beatable. You know, Pittsburgh, well, if Tennessee could somehow find a way to stop the run and you know, Pittsburgh's can't keep up with their speed on offense, you know, and Tennessee's scoring points and Pittsburgh's sort of pedestrian. You know, Tennessee could win, start 2-0. and And I think that would get Hypel off to a good start. Um, I haven't sat here and uh, criticized the Josh Hypel hire. Here was my thing, and people used to talk about him being the a, a candidate at South Carolina once he went to UCF. Number one, he uh, Scott Frost was, did a great thing at UCF. Heupel took over that situation. They got progressively worse. Now, against teams that don't play great defense, like Georgia Tech last year, UCF went up and down the field, no question. Uh, when he was the OC at Missouri against teams that didn't play great defense, Missouri usually went up and down the field and scored points. Statistically – they were number one in the league. Now, if you break that down, though, eh, eh, well, you know, uh, 2017, they sort of ran it up against a Florida team that had quit. I think Randy Shannon was coaching them by then. Ran it up in Knoxville against Tennessee. I think, uh, what's his name, Brady Hoke was coaching them because their coach had gotten fired. Um you know, we're able to score against some teams with good defenses, but, you know, South Carolina beat them 31-13. I think you know, Georgia shut them out before. I mean, it just uh, – I've just never thought, you know, this and, – and keep in mind, too, Bob Stoops, he played quarterback at Oklahoma. Bob Stoops fired him to go hire Lincoln Riley. So, you know, am I a big Josh Heupel fan? No. Can you argue with the fact he's 28 and eight at UCF? No, your record is what it is, you know, and, and look, they did get progressively worse. I think UCF is a really, really good group of five job, probably one of the best. And Gus Malzahn is probably going to win ball games there, but uh, maybe, maybe not. But is the Josh Heupel era one that you, 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 you know, that's going to live in the, the lure of UCF football now. Um, as for Hugh Freeze, I I just don't think with the level of probation and the issues they're going to have 
that they are going to hire Hugh Freeze. Uh, uh, and, and I think this, I think that there's in college football with the NIL, like we talked about earlier, there's gonna be a lot of gray area for a while. And, and what you don't want is while you're kind of running through that gray area, and I expect a laundry list of secondary violations that are self-reported, you know, that aren't, aren't going to amount to much, you know, maybe you take another class or something, but if you're Tennessee and you're on probation, and you got the NCAA on campus investigating and compliance up your butt and stuff. I just don't think you can hire Hugh Freeze because that, you know, that puts a spotlight on you even more and it could get worse. Now, do I think Hugh Freeze would be a hell of a football coach at the University of Tennessee? Absolutely. Number one, he's always wanted the job. He used to be a high school football coach in the state of Tennessee. Um, he can recruit. He can coach. Hugh Freeze is a magnificent football coach. If I'm Tennessee, I'm, you know, and, and I can get him and, and they're wanting for all this other stuff. Yeah, I'd definitely get him. Now, now let me just say this. <laughs> yeah, maybe you shouldn't have self-reported all those violations so you could fire Pruitt. Maybe you should have just paid the buyout and done like other schools and lawyered up. And maybe you could have Hugh Freeze right now. But the way they handled it was – they said, well, we're, we're going to fall, fall on the sword so we don't have to pay Pruitt $15 million and fire him with calls and, and you know, set the program back another three years. Because, you know, Tennessee's problem's been they're constantly turning coaches over, constantly. And, and they don't, you know, they, the hires they've made, and I've had reasons to believe, you know, I had reasons to believe Lane Kiffin was going to be good there because he was recruiting well he had a good staff he wasn't the offensive coach he is now but he was good he was brash um they said they were seven and six their first year Ontario Hardesty played for them um you know then he leaves so so then you go hire Derek Dooley red flag with him was you never want to hire the guy that comes from a group of five and there's multiple losing seasons, you know, or multiple subparts. He had one good year and one big upset. I call that the Darren Horn philosophy. Because if you really looked at Darren Horn, he had one good year, and the other four were below standard at Western Kentucky in basketball. So, so I, I don't know that. But, hey, they had trouble filling it like that. So Derek comes in. Funny guy. Um, didn't win enough. Bush Jones comes in, and, and I, I tell you, Bush Jones surprised me with the way he could recruit. I didn't expect his staff to recruit as well as they did, and they did. The talent cycling up in Tennessee, you think, hey, the Vols are back, Josh Dobbs, all that. They win nine. 2016, they fall to Carolina. Then the bottom falls out in 2017, so you fire him. Then you have a complete debacle of a coaching search. Uh where the 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 career athletic director gets fired. <laughs> because uh, he wanted to hire Mike Leach, which probably, you know, if you're going to hire Josh Heupel, maybe you should have hired Mike Leach, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so he gets fired, and and they land on Jeremy Pruitt. And, you know, Pruitt could recruit. I think we, we see part of the reason why, you know, put together a good staff. T. Martin came home. Jay Graham came home. Um, those guys could recruit. And, uh, you know, it just it, – it didn't work out. They had one run where they won, what, 
How many in a row did they win? 12 or eight, nine? Between 19 and 20. And then the bottom falls out. I mean, you, you know, one thing Tennessee always does usually is beat Kentucky at home. You know, Tennessee doesn't have a Kentucky problem like South Carolina does. Uh, you get beat 34 to seven at home. And you're just not competitive and you're, you're praying to schedule the Vandy game so you can get another win. And it's just tough. Um, and so then, you know, the Danny White hire happens. Uh, really good athletic director. Usually doesn't miss on coaching hires. Um, in my opinion, looking at Danny White's career, Buffalo and UCF and major sports, the worst hire he made was Josh Heupel at UCF before Tennessee. Uh, and so he hired him. So I think that's interesting. Um, but so, so to your point, and I've talked about Tennessee a lot here, I – Number one, I don't think you can fire Josh Heupel this year, even if he goes two and ten, because you got the NCAA cloud hanging over you. You lost forty players in the portal. The guys you got to replace them are, you know, solid. Some of them are going to be pretty good. You do have some pieces in place. Do I think they have enough? People are talking about them going to a bowl. I don't know that they've. I mean, I think that'd be coach of the year. You know, just because you don't. I mean. We saw how some teams reacted this year with their rosters gutted by COVID. You know, just how much of a difference that made. Look at South Carolina at the end. So, so I don't think it's fair to fire him after this year, and I don't think they will. Um, but, you know, uh, is it going to work out long term? I have no idea. You know, I, I think the NCAA situation is something that has to resolve itself at Tennessee – and, 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 and that program needs some stability, man. I mean, you know, you, you, you keep flipping coaches over and over and over again. You're going to f- keep falling further and further behind. And with the portal now, too, you know, guys will just leave. You know, South Carolina is very lucky they didn't lose more players to the portal than they did. It's a testament to Shane Beamer and the atmosphere he's created that South Carolina did not. Um, And Mitchell goes on to say, he thought Heupel was the worst coaching hire in the offseason. Yeah, you know, the national media is going to pump him up because they like points scored. But um, I, I'd have to go through. Jed Fish at Arizona I, I thought was an uninspiring hire. But, you know, like I said, you go through, some people will say this was a bad hire, this was a bad hire, this was a good hire. And it turns out that the bad hires are good and the good hires are bad. Uh, so in Mark Stoops' case, so he goes on, Mitchell goes on. In Mark Stoops' case, if Justin Fuente is fired, I think he would be a good fit with the Hokies and could do well in the Coastal Division of the ACC or any job in the Big Ten since he would have more resources. And given Kentucky's history, you'd have to think they would rather support John Calipari and their basketball program over Stoops if it ever came to money or things like that. Your thoughts? Well, all SEC schools are rich. Kentucky is no exception. I'll say this about Kentucky fans. I mean, they are a basketball school, and that is what they're most passionate about. But unlike some other (laughs) basketball schools that only show up for football when they're good, you know, Kentucky, even when they're bad, they'll get 60,000 in their stadium. Uh, They they show up for football. It's just they've not always had success. That's why they love Stoops. And they're happy in football if they're winning season and go to a bowl. Heck, they're happy as, you know what, beating Tennessee and really happy beating South Carolina every year. Uh, you know, so money I don't think is going to be an issue. Now, 
Virginia Tech, better job than Kentucky? Well, state of Virginia puts out a lot more talent. I will say with Blacksburg's geographic location, you have to overcome that. That's something I was talking to my hockey friend today, and they're probably going to get Ramon Brown, and that's all well and good, just about how much Justin Fuente and his staff do not like to recruit. You know, they, they just think they're going to sign anybody and out-scheme them, and I think Justin Fuente on game day is as good as it gets or, or one of the best out there. But, you know, he's not recruiting. You know, people griped about Frank Beamer not recruiting, you know, because they'd see some of these kids, the five-star kids get from Nova, from Northern Virginia, go to Alabama or whatever. Uh, some guys from the 757 would pick Florida State or Ohio State. And, you know, they, they get a little fired up about that because their class would be ranked in the in the 20s and 30s. Uh, and then they'd ignore all the players that left that didn't pan out. And, you know, Virginia Tech still won between eight and ten games. And then then it got to be seven towards the end of Frank's career. But, you know, Frank had a system and evaluated as well as anybody in the country. Uh, and, and they worked at it with the guys they wanted. I mean, they they did work at it. It's not it's not like this situation up there now. It's it's a it's a bad situation. Now, you know, again, I'm going to talk to you people that criticize Ray Tanner and don't think he's got, you know, an eye for coaching talent or whatever. And I think that's certainly debatable. Shane Beamer needs to work out. Mark Kingston needs to work out before we can say Ray Tanner is this great evaluator of coaching talent. But I'll say this. Um, Fuente had one brief interaction. I don't know whether it was in person to Tanner or through an intermediary, but didn't want to come recruit in the SEC. So no interest on either end for the South Carolina job. And, you know, he comes from the, the, the Gary Patterson school of coaching out there. And then Patterson's now realized he's got to go recruit if he's going to compete in the big 12. I don't know that Fuente realizes that talking to my friend in Blacksburg. I don't know if he realized now good that they're going to get Ramon Brown. I think he's a stud, but, you know, and, and Fuente was almost fired last year. Now, when he was hired, I thought, you know, this guy has found Paxton Lynch and all these players at Memphis and rebuilt that thing. You know, this guy, but, but Memphis has just kept right on going. Um, you know, Mike Norvell used the same recipe at Memphis and won a bunch, and now he's recruiting his butt off at Florida State. Um, so, all right, so would Mark Stoops be a good fit with the Hokies? Yes, I do think that. Um I think that uh, he is more like Frank Beamer in terms of evaluations and developing and stuff like that than he is about Justin Fuente, who's a guy that just doesn't want to recruit. Probably should go to the NFL, to be honest. Um, And, uh, you know, I think he would be a good fit. I'll tell you this. I think Tony Elliott from Clemson is going to get a long look for that job if it opens this year, a long look. Uh, But I do do I think – Mark Stoops would be good at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Would he leave Kentucky for VT? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, he's not like Dan Mullen, who once he started winning at Mississippi State, he was interviewing constantly. And and you knew when his ship came in, he was leaving. And, and that year, 27, I mean, he was, he was either taking Tennessee or Florida. But Stoops hadn't been a guy like that, even when Florida State came open. You know, where he was the D coordinator, he wasn't really all into it. So I, I don't know. He may be happy at Kentucky. Um, 
So anyway, I do think Kentucky can pay. I think they could outbid Virginia Tech. But, you know, a lot of times in coaching, you kind of look at it and you go, well, have I done enough? Have I done all I can do here? Now, you mentioned a Big Ten job. Uh, Mark Stoops is an Iowa graduate. Hawkeyes. Kirk Ferentz is not going to be there forever. Iowa is a very good job. Uh, just like Kentucky's done, they overachieve relative to the talent in their state. So does Iowa State now, too, by the way. Uh, but Iowa's always been really good, and Ferentz has been there for a long, long time. You know, Mark Stoops, to me, that may be a gig that he would go for. I think dark horse-wise, if Harbaugh went back to the – we'd say Harbaugh's going back to the NFL all the time. I think he's staying just because people say that. <laughs> but for Michigan, like say they don't get a Matt Campbell or something, Mark Stoops I think could be a good fit there. I, Mark Stoops, quite frankly, at a place like Michigan State, now they just hired a new coach a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, someplace like that. I don't see Mark Stoops taking Indiana. Uh, and I'll tell you another guy – Tom Allen from Indiana for a Virginia Tech job would be uh, – I think, you know, you look at what he did last year. Indiana, probably the worst job in the Big Ten. You know, and it's a basketball school too, and it's not like Kentucky. So, you know, I don't think Stoops is going to take Purdue or Indiana or Minnesota, someplace like that. But, you know, you, you talk about Iowa on up in the Big Ten, I could see that happening. I could also see Virginia Tech. So that's an interesting conversation there, Mitchell. Always appreciate it. Dre says, I'm going to ask a question probably nobody wants to hear. How different will our next signing class be in December versus what our current board looks like? I suppose the better question is, who are you most concerned about decommitting that we have on the boat? Really? Um, I'm going to level with you here. Uh, You know, I, I don't... You know, all right, so let's just go through it. Would Ryan Brubaker lose heart about going all the way from school to school and end up going to Penn State if they wanted him? I mean, that's the risk you run. He's a legacy, and you don't know these are these are high school kids where their lives are gonna be at at that point. I don't think it's likely. Ryan's the type of kid that I mean, he's helping him recruit and all that. Uh, Anthony Rose has already decommitted once. It's been to five different high schools. Uh, I think, you know, Carolina feels really good about holding on to him. But, you know, there's a track record, so you got to kind of look at that. Um, Hale mentioned something the other day about Florida and Emory Floyd. I don't know. I mean, I you know. If I'm Florida, I'm probably going to try to flip him, just to be honest. But I have a hard time understanding. You know, I see at some of these schools, these guys that are rated high that are, you know, already 210 pounds at corner and they run 4'6". I'm like, those guys are probably going to be linebackers, folks. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, if I'm coaching and I have some speed at receiver, you're, you're going to be in trouble. I'll take Emory Floyd in two, in, in two years. He's going to be really good. You know, but there's some talk about that. Um, you know, I, uh, the other guys, uh, I think with the Texas kids, you always have to watch situations where, I, you know, Texas is far. 
Okay, Pennsylvania is far, but Texas is far, far. And there's also a whole lot of college football programs in the state of Texas. And sometimes they go and try to flip kids back. So Landon Sampson, you know, Texas or Oklahoma offers him. That would be one I would be concerned about. You know, Peyton Williams, kind of the same thing with, with some of the in-state guys. They didn't have a whole lot of in-state offers. Uh, but high school players in Texas tend to want to stay in Texas. Now, it's not as much as it used to be because when A&M joined the SEC, more programs from the Eastern Division started recruiting out there. Um, you know, they're, these kids are both from the Dallas Metroplex. I think most of you that fly for work or whatever know – you can fly right into CAE, Columbia from Dallas, Fort Worth. It's not that bad of a flight. You know, I, I think it's going to take a good offer from a local team. Um, I don't want to sit there and rule out like a Texas Tech or Baylor or TCU. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's going to take Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, somebody like that. Um just my gut right now, based on the feedback I've been getting. Don't get mad at me if one of those kids ends up at Baylor. Other than that, you know, I expect everybody to stick. You know, I think Braden and, – and, and I'll say this too. Right now, there's nobody that's on decommit watch. I'm just kind of speculating based on, okay, if there was a guy, this may be it. So, you know, right now, I mean, there, there's so much positivity and stuff like that. I mean – these guys are all just helping Beamer recruit, you know, and the rest of the staff. I mean, so it's it's that that's kind of what they're doing. But those would be the guys. I mean, I, I think anytime with Georgia kids, if UGA steps back in, you know, you're you're gonna, you know, you're gonna worry a bit just because of how that state is and you know where their program's at right now. But um, yeah, right now I think everybody's kind of status quo. You know, but it, it, the further a rule of thumb is the further they are away from campus, the more you have to worry about a flip. It's kind of a rule of thumb. Although this is the same school, Gary Gray, <laughs> in one of the most infamous flips in the history of South Carolina football, flipped from Richland Northeast to Notre Dame back in the class of 07. Uh, I'm sorry, flipped from South Carolina to Notre Dame after he had helped assemble the class. So I learned a lesson that year that you just never know. <laughs> Uh, so that's that. Thank you, Dre, so much for the uh, for the email. One more inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com is how you get in the I Help Consulting mailbag. Again, Daniel, 843-372-5713. Schedule your free consultation. Save, help you save money for your business across the board. Dylan says, hi, JC. Love the podcast and listen religiously. Is there any way you can get more guests on the show? I like when you have Keith, Tony, and Hale. Perhaps you could do a schedule preview when you get a guest from other teams' 247 sites to talk about our opponents, too. I am thinking about doing that. I've got a uh, not a vacation scheduled uh, for Myrtle Beach coming up uh, August uh, or July 31st through August 7th. And uh, that's kind of the first week of practice. There won't be a whole lot of news. Uh, I think they start practice towards the end of that week. Um. But uh, what I'm thinking about doing is doing some canned interviews and just giving those to you guys that day. And that's something that can happen. Here's the thing about this podcast, though, and, I, and I'll, I'll be very honest with you there. I don't mind having guests. I actually like it. Uh, a lot of times it's easier 
to have guests. I do the podcast with Mike, and Mike and I have had guests a lot. I mean, we've we've had probably like ten guests in a row, um, and that's fun, and I like it. This show, though, after you know Keith and I stopped doing the lot on the Gamecocks podcast together, and he just kind of does it now, and I'm a guest sometimes. You know what I thought this should be is just different. You know, and and it's kind of like, you know, the, there's some radio shows out there where it's just one guy. He has a mailbag. He talks, and he has guests every now and then. But that's not the primary focus. And, and I'll say this: that that's not going to be the primary focus of this podcast. That said, I um I do think we need more. And I think if you're going to do, you know, between three and five a week, like I do, you know, you do three a solo and have one with a guest or something like that. I, I do like to get hail on because you know of all this recruiting talk, and I'm probably overdue for that. Um, probably good to get Tony back on too, but, uh, and Keith, you know, for that matter. So, uh, and then maybe John Whittle and then maybe, you know, I, I know a lot of people in the business, so, you know, you, you want some guests, I, I can kind of, I can kind of hook it up, but, um, yeah, I could, uh, I, I appreciate that feedback. And so, so two things on this to find, to kind of put a bow on this question. Number one, it's never going to be a bunch of guests over and over and over again. You know, I, I just, that's not my plan for this podcast. Um, and believe me, I wish it was cause that'd be easier. It's much easier to have guests or co-host or whatever. Uh, I just think, you know, what I bring to the table is just like the straight up opinion, the straight up takes the information. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm in a sports bar talking to you guys and, and I like that. Um, so, so we're never going to have like a guest every day. That said, I do think getting into the season and things like that and uh, you know, like times when I'm on vacation or whatever, you know, that that's, that's a good time to have some interviews with some people. So I, I, I appreciate this and, and all that. And then we're going to try to make that work. Um, I just don't want you to expect like, like JC and Morgan. Now, like I said, we're going on probably like, 10 out of the last 11 episodes we've had guests and, and, and that's what that podcast is sort of going to. Uh, that's not what this is ever going to be primarily, if that makes any sense, but I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's the, all the time we have for today. Once again, thanks to our sponsors. I help, oh, sorry. I help consulting heritage digital Again, Heritage Digital is Matt at 843-664-8989. He's going to solve all your IT problems. Daniel at iHelp Consulting is 843-372-5713 or iHelpConsulting.com. He's going to help save you money across the board on your business. Both good sponsors of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right, it's all the time we have for today, July 8th. Hope everybody's hanging in there and doing well. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks Podcast.